it's crumbling and nobody knows what's going on and like let's just hope that it's not going to stay like that um but there were dark times yeah it was dark times and it didn't get better it got worse you know a lot worse you know for a couple of years you're listening to well-being creative a podcast that breaks down the stigmas and creates the conversations surrounding well-being in the creative fields my name is Harrison Diskin, and I'll be sitting down with creators of all types to discuss how they manage the inevitable stress, anxiety, and health choices that come along with creating in today's wild world. Hey, it's Harrison, and my guest today is a self-described productivity junkie, and after learning more about him and the company he founded, I think you will agree. Adam Lieb is the co-founder of Astro House, and more specifically, the product FreeWrite, a tool that helps writers and creators deter distractions. He is an MIT engineering grad that beyond designing products and starting companies also has some interesting hobbies and passions that have led him around the world on adventures that I'm sure we will hear more about. So with that intro, it's my pleasure to welcome Adam Lieb to Wellbeing Creative. Hey Adam, how's it going? Hey Harrison, doing well. I think we, uh, I think we first talked about doing this podcast back when we were in Tulum uh, on a yoga retreat, which seems like long time ago now uh, especially with everything going on in the world um, a lifetime ago yeah so I'm, I'm glad that we can make this happen for sure um, let's get right into it you founded a company and more specifically a physical tool that helps writers and creators get rid of the modern day distractions that can plague them and uh, you just want to explain to our listeners about the free write for those who don't know yeah so we call the free write a distraction free writing tool it's um, we actually started it um, under the name Hemingwright back in 2014. So it was me and my co-founder Patrick, and we had this idea to create a new writing implement that sort of ma- married the simplicity of vintage tools like a typewriter or old word processor with some modern modern hardware for for writers, and we we thought about. I mean, it sort of all actually started about thinking about distraction-free software. turns out that most modern writers are using some type of software on their computers to help them stay focused. And that was really the inspiration. And, and the physical manifestation ended up basically sort of reinvigorating the typewriter. But um, we, we, that's not what we set out to do. We really set out to sort mm-hmm. of bring a distraction-free writing experience to modern technology. So... That was, that was our first product, and we launched it, like I said, uh, in 2014 on a Kickstarter campaign. Uh, we've recently launched and started shipping our second major product called the Freeride Traveler, which is similar but smaller and folding. And, um, yeah, the company is called Astraus, and we've been, you know, in this kind of, you know, obscure distraction free writing world for, yeah, the past six years. It's pretty cool. Um, so we'll get more into Astro House and what you're doing currently, but... Going back in time, when did you know you wanted to start designing products? Was this something that you tinkered with at an early age? Well, I always like to make things. I've been making things for a long time uh, before making things was cool. Actually, that's not true. Making things <laughs> was always cool. Um, but there definitely was no such thing as the maker movement. Um, but you know, growing up, I think my very early claim to fame was um, in high school, I, I built a hovercraft, which I don't talk mm-hmm. about very much anymore <laughs> because it I, seemed I've to- i on your website actually. Yeah, it's, uh, 
it's uh, it persisted. It didn't matter what else I did, but I always was always known as the guy that that built the hovercraft in high school, and I did. And I, you know, I didn't really think. I don't know. It's hard to imagine back then what I was thinking exactly, but I didn't really think much of it. I really just wanted to build something that was like big and exciting and, you know, something very unusual. Um, Do you have other extracurriculars going on when you were building the hovercraft or was that like kind of what was taking up your free time? It definitely took up a lot of time. It was my junior and senior year. So it was was pretty much two years of, you know, part-time work Mm -hmm. building this boat. I mean, it's basically a boat. Uh, it was fiberglass. And, um, so yeah, I mean, it was, I mean, I don't even know now you're really stretching my memory. I'm, I'm, I definitely did other things for Mm -hmm. sure. Um, it was more of like a weekend project type of activity, but, and it, and that's also why it took so long. Yeah. I guess I'm asking because a lot of people probably play, you know, varsity baseball or whatever, and it takes a lot of commitment to do that. And, you know, uh, I think, taking a lot of commitment and persistence to build a hovercraft can kind of overshadow or almost equal to, to that kind of parallel that a lot of your peers were probably doing at the same time. Oh, I'm sure that the athletes were spending a lot more time practicing than I was building. And I actually, mm-hmm. it's funny, I haven't talked about this in a long, in a really long time, but I did keep quite detailed notes about like my, my like build journal and mm-hmm. If I remember correctly, is this right? I don't know. The number that is in my head right now is something like 350 hours, Hmm. which felt like a lot to me. But now looking back on it, I mean, I've definitely spent a lot more hours on, you know, my more recent projects. So, um, yeah, I mean, something, something like 350 hours over the course of two years. So early on, were you able to meld that like design and maker uh, mentality with the business side of things? Yeah. So I didn't ask, I didn't answer your question, which was, did I always know, or when did I know that I wanted to design products? And I think the answer is that it kind of came in, in college. Like I said, I'd always known that I wanted to build things and, you know, certainly coming out of high school, it's hard to know what you want to do as a career or profession that's always, I mean, it's an unbelievable question to ask a 18 year old, I think. Mm-hmm. And um, I didn't know, but I knew that I liked building things. And so it wasn't a big jump for me to do mechanical engineering, which is what I ended up doing. Um, what I did end up figuring out though, is that there's sort of a niche within, pro- um, within mechanical engineering, which is product design. And there's obviously, a well, I shouldn't say there's obviously, there's a lot more to product design than mechanical engineering. In fact, I'd probably say product design is mostly not mechanical engineering, but that's that was sort of my angle on it. And I got exposed to it in college. Um, my, my course path was sort of not a, we sort of had an alternate route. So there was sort of like the down the middle mechanical engineering route. And then there was also, there was like a mechanical engineering alternative route where you Mm -hmm. could do a focus in one of these other areas. And I don't even remember the other areas, but one of them was product design. And so that's what I chose. And it allowed me to take some marketing courses. It allowed me to take an actual product design course, a few product design courses. I got to work with industrial designers from RISD. um, And that was just super awesome. I mean, it's, it's much more of a, you know, systems thinking and um, got exposed to like human centered design, all these different concepts that go into product design. And so 
that I definitely, once, once I started doing those types of courses and working with those types of people, it made so much more sense to me that, that, that was what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And do you think you could have found that environment outside of MIT or, or do you think that environment is so inducing to like pushing boundaries for your learning? Um, you know, do you think that it was just the right environment for that? It was definitely the right environment for me. I, I loved MIT and I pretty much only have extremely positive things to say about it. I feel very, very fortunate that I was able to go there and, you know, try to make the most of it. Mm-hmm. That being said, I mean, there's lots of other great programs, um, how they integrate mechanical design or how they, how they sort of, they're every course programs and engineering programs are a little bit different. Um, you know, there's definitely other courses that are in product design that, you know, people can get exposed to that stuff. So I wouldn't say mm-hmm. that it was the only place to do it, but, you know, MIT has a very unique, um, you know, a, a unique makeup that has, you know, these famous places like the MIT Media Lab, um, which I worked in and um, some of these other places that really bring a lot more creativity and entrepreneurship it's like a breeding um, ground for that. Yeah, it is. And it's, mm-hmm. it's very unusual. And so that, that's something that's really special about, um, you know, about MIT that, that again, it has like this melting pot of creativity, technology, design, and entrepreneurship that's hard to find mm-hmm. elsewhere. And so people who might be listening that aren't at MIT, how, how do you think they can take that type of, um, you know, take away and, and parallel it to their own life as far as like, you know, creating a circle of people who, you know, give them the environment to, to be creative and to, you know, invent and to be innovative. Well, I, I mean, it's, it's easier now than ever, I think, to be connected with other creatives and that the tools for making things are so good. Certainly for like, any kind of like electronics or mechatronics or robotics, you know, hobbyist, um, you know, like programming. I mean, all of those, all of the tools to make things that utilize those skill sets are so much better than they used to be. And sort of the knowledge mm-hmm. that's out there. I mean, even just, you know, an Arduino or um, Raspberry Pi, like none of that stuff existed when I, when I was in college, which is makes me feel really old when I say that, but I mean, it's true. Are those, are those like apps or, um, Arduino and, and Raspberry Pi are, bo- are both, um, they're both, you know, computing oh, platforms. One of the, one of them is a microcontroller platform. That's just become extremely popular. That's Arduino. And then Raspberry Pi is a, a little mini Linux computer that came out for $35, like, hmm. I don't know, eight, eight or 10 years ago, probably now. And so they have really, you know, created this like maker lower pie. barrier. Oh yeah. Super low barrier to entry and, 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 allowed so many more people to interact with, you know, electronics and robotics and, um, and also integrate those, those types of things into people's art and, you know, all kinds of stuff. Mm -hmm. So moving between MIT and starting your first company, you were uh, on wall street as a banker. Um, Can you tell us about that time? Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. Does it? Was that (laughs) was always part of the plan? It, the, truthfully, what happened was I, I did really wanted to go into product design and I found these product design consultancies, um, like IDEO and, 
Um, I think there's one called Fuse Project and there's a few others, Whipsaw and what. And I applied to try and get a job there after mm -hmm. graduating. And I had, you know, I had a pretty tough experience. I really, I did, you know, I networked super hard. I went through our alumni database. I went through, you know, any, anyone I could go through and I got, and I got conversations, but I never actually got a real interview, um, which was really sad. I felt like, and, and almost all of them sort of said the same thing. They were like, yo, like you've built more stuff and like done more things. Like you have a crazy portfolio, but if you haven't done an internship here or, you know, don't have a graduate degree, like we're not hiring. And mm -hmm. I was like, Oh, wow, that sucks. I don't know. Okay. Well, if I can't do, you know, if I can't join an IDO or, or, you know, someone of that caliber company of that caliber, like, I don't know, I guess I'll do banking. So, yeah. and that's, it's weird because, you know, if you, if most people have never been in this environment, but, you know, coming out of MIT, like, especially back then, I mean, this was, I graduated in 07. And so, you know, that means that I was actually recruiting in 06, which was like peak, peak time. So all these like 06 and 05 grads were coming back to, you know, back to campus and saying like, oh, we're, you know, everything's so great and we're making all this money and like, it's wild and awesome and mm -hmm. all this stuff. And as someone that, you know, I love new challenges. I thought, you know, I love, I, I love New York city and I would, I thought that would be such an crazy, uh, a great opportunity to get to New York city and just like be in that environment. And so, um, yeah, I took the plunge and did some interviews and ended up getting a job and, uh, you know, ended up working in New York for four years for an Australian investment bank. Hmm. There's a couple of things I want to unpack from that. And the first is, uh, you talk about, you know, people coming back to campus you know, from years previous and, you know, I don't know, were they in Silicon Valley or whatever during those times coming back and being like, Oh, we're making a ton of money. And it's, it's like, you know, the gold rush out here. And, <laughs> you know, so it's, when, it's when the you... opposite. No, it's, it's not, not at all like that. And that's, it's so funny right. that you just said that because back then it was like, people didn't, I mean, they did, but like, that was the investment banking gold rush, um, mm -hmm. which is like it, it still exists, but it's definitely lost its luster, you know, post, you know, 2008 recession. So, you know, those people were all coming back from, from New York. Oh, saying, they were like, saying it from wall street. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. did you see that even I'll, I'll kind of rephrase my question then. Did you see those guys and you thought, you know, well, this could be a good way to get myself from, you know, where I am now to maybe skip the inter internships and the, you know, the nepotism that might go into some of the, you know, bigger companies hiring product designers and maybe start your own company off of the money you can make in the gold rush of Wall Street? Yeah. Yeah. It was a few of those things. I think um, I, I liked the idea of moving to New York. I figured, um, you know, investment banking sort of had this sheen to it that, mm -hmm you know, seemed like something that would be interesting. It's also one of those things that you can't really join unless you're coming out of school and, you know, whether it's undergrad or business school. And so it felt like a, a very unique opportunity to sort of enter this, you know, kind of unusual world that has a lot of, you know, rumors and, and things about it. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, I also definitely 
was looking forward to making a lot of money. I was coming out of school with, you know, student loans and I wanted to pay those off. And, um, and I figured that, you know, I had an MIT engineering degree. Like if I ever wanted to go back to engineering, I probably could do it. So mm -hmm. that was sort of my thought process. Um, and it seemed like I got a pretty cool job. So I, I, I was excited about it. And honestly, it's funny because I've, I've told that I've obviously told people this and people know this about me for a long time now. And they're always like, Oh man, that must've been terrible. And I'm like, no, it was great. I loved it. You yeah, know, like, yeah, sure. They're fairly. Yeah. I mean, yeah, sure. There's, you know, late nights and we worked a lot, but in general, I, I love it. And there's definitely times where I'm like, God, I wish, I wish I could go back to that. I mean, we had so many incredible people, like there was just so many smart people around and everyone was super, super ambitious. And it was, it was fun. I liked it. Mm -hmm. What I'm, what I'm getting is that you can probably find, um, a challenge, anything that's challenging, it seems that you are attracted to. So, you know, even if it's something is, is what people might consider boring as wall street, you can find the allure to it. So that's pretty cool. Um, did you have an exit strategy though, when you were there and at what point did you realize that you were going to leave to start your own company? <laughs> um, so I probably knew I was going to leave after the first year, but it took me four years to actually get up the guts to do it. Mm -hmm. And you what, know, the way what to... helped you get, get the guts and like, why, why four years and not six months or, you know, four months or whatever. Yeah. Pa part of it was bad luck because I started, you know, basically at the worst time you could possibly start an investment banking career joining mm -hmm. in August, 2007. And the world basically collapsing around you. It's weird to talk about it right now because it seems like the world is already kind of like collapsed, but it was a different type of collapse. Mm -hmm. And I remember it quite clearly. Um, there was, we went to this like worldwide conference and right after we started, I think it was probably November, 2007. And I remember all these, you know, senior bankers talking about like, you know, things that are going on in the market. And they're like, Oh, you know, they, they use a lot of words like soft people. Bankers love using the word soft. Oh, the market's, mm -hmm. you know, softening here and, and stuff like that, which is mm -hmm. really mean like it's crumbling and nobody knows what's going on. And like, let's just hope that it's not going to stay like that. Um, but I there were like, dark oh. times. Yeah, it was dark times and it didn't get better. It got worse, you know, a lot worse, you know, for a couple of years. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, my, my plans were, you know, to get, get in there, like work hard, make a lot of money, pay off student loans, like enjoy New York, you know, make, make friends and all that stuff. And what ended up happening was most of those things, except for make a lot of money. I mean, I made good money, but mm -hmm. you know, I was living in New York and also, you know, just, it wasn't like crazy money. I mean, it was, it was fine, but it wasn't right. like, you know, some people were coming back and getting, you know, first year people like in 2000, five and six, you know, some first year analysts would get like a hundred thousand dollar bonus, mm -hmm. you know, crazy stuff like that. And it's like, Oh, well, next that's year, like all those went away. Totally went away. Yeah. Yeah. And that's literally, you know, if I'd been born one year earlier, like I'd yeah. be the launching pad completely different. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, that's just luck though. And so it, it took me a while and I ended up, I ended up changing positions after two years and I went to a different part of the bank and had a different role. And it was, and I, honestly, it was great. I, I, again, like I said, I think it was awesome and I got great experience. Um, but at some point it was like, you know, and you know, you don't want your boss's job and you don't really see yourself staying there. Like 
why why stay longer yeah so before you left though i think really staying on this for a minute too is, is important because a lot of entrepreneurs really like to hone in on the time where you know they knew that they were going to leave their job that they were you know at for the time being when they knew they were going to really go on to build a company but you you know really emphasize the fact that you knew you needed to stay because it was the right thing to do for you know at the time you know jumping off the sinking ship although the finance financial market was crumbling um it would have been a really scary decision to to do and probably not the most sensible decision to do when you have a stability uh and security with your job at the moment so um in in today's world where we're kind of facing similar you know tumultion what do you say to people who, you know, either are, you know, looking for what's next or, you know, trying to hang on for dear life to what they have now? Well, usually I tell people to just do it. Mm -hmm. Don't stop, you know, don't wait. I mean, it's like moving, you know, moving a house or moving your apartment or whatever. It's like, or taking a vacation, like it's never a good time. Right. It's never a good time. And, you know, as everybody knows, like you can't time the market. So, you know, I think that there's a responsible way there's definitely more responsible ways of doing things and less. Um, but being responsible doesn't, I don't think it really correlates with your success as an entrepreneur. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. you know, like I, I believe very strongly and, you know, we can talk more about this, but, you know, even for myself, I, I needed a gap. I needed what I call like a, a vacuum for sort of ideas and energy to flow back into. And, you know, there's some people think you should, you know, if you want to have a side hustle, you should get it going enough on the side until, you know, it basically overtakes your regular job and then quit your job. And that's totally fine. You know, I think that works for some people. Other mm-hmm. people, I think you just need to take the plunge. I mean, for me, I needed to take the plunge. And like when I when I left banking in 2011, I had nothing. Um, in terms of plans, like I didn't even mm-hmm. have, a, I didn't even have an idea. Um, and, and I was, it looked like I had money saved up at, at mm-hmm. that point. I did, you know, the markets had recovered and like, I had a different role and like, I definitely had money and I had a good chunk of change saved up. And that was also part of the reason that I stuck around for four years. Um, and so I didn't need to like find a job right away and I didn't have a family, you know, I didn't have like family to take care of or anything like that. So I was very right. fortunate in that way, but I also felt like, you know, if I was gonna, I, I, I if I was gonna work full time and like in a banking role, like those ideas are hard to work on. I mean, you just have there's you only have a finite amount of attention and energy to work on mm-hmm. anything, and I think, um, you know, it's a it's a big trade off. I I agree. Um, so you went on to start your first company, which was a vitamin company called Sun Daily. Uh, what what happened with that? Um, as as <laughs> as uh, my old banking colleague used to say, well, I learned a lot. Um, yeah, we we used to joke around because he would say that um, basically when there was nothing positive to say, and so it became like this euphemism for like it was the worst experience of my life. But at yeah. least I learned a lot. It's a learning um, lesson. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, Sundayly it had all of the makings of something great. It just didn't have, you know, what they call these days as product market fit. Mm-hmm. Um, it was too much and 
not it didn't it wasn't focused enough on any you know one group i think it was you know a great product in quotes but you know i couldn't really find the right niche of people that cared enough to kind of keep it going and also i mean it was bootstrapped and so i spent all my money on it and like by the time i was getting any kind of traction like i just didn't really have money to market it i mean it was it was very tough it was very tough and i wouldn't i wouldn't I probably wouldn't suggest doing that to other people, but, um, you know, I learned, yeah, like I said, I learned a lot of hard lessons about product design sort of the hard way. And that's, you know, sometimes you have to, I mean, sometimes you always have to do that. You know, it's better if it's not always your money or, yeah. you know, <laughs> you know, you're, do you, yeah. Do you look at that as like a, um, for lack of a better term, like a failure, uh, you know, in your timeline of, of create creativity? Um, sure. Yeah. I mean, it, it definitely wasn't like a business success for mm -hmm. sure. Um, was it wasted time? You know, I don't know. I mean, it's tough, right? Like I think it's, I mean, you can get into these. I really try not to think too much about that kind of stuff because you can really fall into this trap of like over optimizing your life and thus you do nothing because you're like mm -hmm. waiting for the perfect opportunity or you're like, you can only work on projects that have like this massive, massive impact. And I just don't think that's like a great way to go about endeavors, whether they're personal or professional, you know, like just work on things that you want to work on. And, you know, for me at that time, that was what I wanted to work on. And yeah, like, you know, a lot of people, you know, coming out of banking and I'm, you know, engineering with this MIT degree and they're like, why are you making vitamins? Like, mm -hmm. well, I don't know. I like, I wanted to, you know, I, and why does it need to be more than that answer? You know, I thought it, I thought it was going to be successful and I put, you know, everything into it and like, it wasn't, and that's fine. Um, yeah. it was super stressful and it was terrible. And I, you know, I, I, yeah, I don't want to be in that position again. Well, as a concert promoter, I can definitely share the, um, that, that, you know, judgment that some of our friends can, can put on us for not having a, a regular job or you know following the regular path um but i think sometimes that's what makes life fun and you know taking risks and, and trying to seek out those rewards even when we fail can sometimes be you know exactly where we need to be um and so like you said that it was your money and it was your time um what about that like action of putting it all on the line is is so attractive to you and and you know, how can more people live in a moment like that where they feel like it's like they can, you know, try, try and try. Well, I think that one of the, yeah, I'll go back to, um, you know, our good friend, Tim Ferriss. And mm -hmm. um, it's funny because I started that vitamin business. And I think before I'd even heard of who he was and everyone's like, Tim Ferriss, he, that's exactly what he did. And I'm like, what are you mm -hmm. talking about? And people just say this to me over and over again. Like there's this guy, he wrote the four hour work week. Like he started this vitamin company and, you know, then he wrote this book and all this stuff. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> anyway, I think eventually I did read the book. And one of the things that I think is probably the most important thing out of the, out of all of that is recognizing how, how really what we perceive is our big risks are usually not that big. Mm. And I think, you know, 
there's always, you know, most of us are fortunate enough to have family to fall back on, to have some friends to fall back on, um, you know, to cut down expenses and really see like, how much do you really need? You know, especially like, you know, I mean, I, I moved back in with my parents and I left New York and I knew that I knew a hundred percent that that was like part of my deal. You know, if I was going mm-hmm. to leave banking and I was going to start my own business, like I wasn't going to spend all my money, you know, gallivanting around New York like I used to. And so I moved back to Detroit. I moved in with my parents. And then all of a sudden, like, yeah, my expenses are really low. Mm-hmm. And the reality is like, I don't need to make that much. And so I think people, I think it's it's just really, it's really interesting. And I think letting people, everybody's, I think everybody needs to like, exercise this sort of discomfort with not having stuff or, mm-hmm. um, you know, really understanding what the priorities of their life are. And it's hard to do that when you've always, when you've always had enough, you know, and I think, you know, for me going through that process with Sun Daily, you know, even though I never, ever felt like I was in jeopardy of like being homeless or anything like that, like I was stressed out to the max you know, just having like, you know, credit card debt and that kind of thing and having spent like this big chunk of change. But again, like I'm in, in the back of my head, I was like, this is my own punishment. I don't, not punishment, but like, you know, I I chose this, I chose this and Mm -hmm. nobody's telling me I have to keep doing it either. I could just stop and get a job if I really wanted to, or I could just stop period and not get a job. And then all of a sudden it's just like, all right, that was that thing I did. And at, and at some point, that's that's what happened. The way you describe that, though, makes it seem um, pretty simple. So I feel like it takes practice and there's some philosophy behind that, even, you know, of letting go of, of you know, things that don't serve you and, and realizing that sense items truly don't serve you. And if you're not happy making, you know, 35 grand, you're not going to be happy with the 100K salary and you're not going to be happy with the million in your stock account. So, um, you know, what what goes into finding happiness, you know, and security, like everyone knows that they could just go get a job for the most part. Right. But, but what goes into the security of, of, you know, putting it all on, all on the line and, and risking it all um, and still being happy when, it, when it fails. Yeah. I wasn't happy when it failed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And I, and again, like, I also don't think I was risking everything. Well, maybe not happiness, but perseverance. How do you persevere when it fails? How do you pick yourself back up to, to, to start again. Yeah. It's, I actually think that I actually think the harder thing was quitting. Mm. And I think for real, uh, I don't know how to say this, but like for real entrepreneurs, quitting is super hard. You know, it's, I can, I can find things to work on just around me all the time. Like I don't need encouragement or, some kind of like special mantra that I have to practice to be like, Mm -hmm. I'm going to be productive today, you know, for, for me, but for me to be like, I'm going to put this big project down. That's really hard. And I've thought about this a lot. Like, how do you know when to quit? And I think most of the time when I'm reading, I mean, a lot of startups, you know, when they're, I mean, most people, when they're let, let me say this, when startups fail, people, after they fail, usually their founders realize that they had 
you know, they should have failed a long time ago. Right. And that's, but it's also probably a sign of a good product when you, when you, you know, can't quit easily. Cause if it was easy to quit, then it obviously wasn't very meaningful. Yeah. I don't know if I agree with that. I think it's a sign of a good product. If you never have to think about whether you have to quit or not, like mm-hmm. it should pull you into like, I mean, I, I and, and I, I've been thankful in that I've had sort of two very diff- distinct experiences starting Sun Daily and launching the product, you know, our, our main product was called Superlux and launching that product versus launching our first uh, Freeride product. You know, one of them was very clearly me pushing it into the market mm-hmm. and the other one was very clearly it getting pulled into the market. And mm-hmm. let me tell you, they're very different experiences. Very different. Yeah. That's uh, very interesting. So while we're talking about these products and, and launches and successes and failures, can you tell us about Clap Boss? <laughs> oh, the one that got away. Yeah, <laughs> Clap Boss was a, a project that we tried to launch on Kickstarter in 2017. Um, this was with you know my company, Astro House. And we... You know, I think we we swayed a little bit from our you know core demographic of our writing community. Um, we also were a little tired of trying to sell like this super niche, distraction-free writing typewriter gadget. As much as it was awesome and like people were getting a lot of benefit out of it, you know, it was kind of a small group. Mm-hmm. And so we came up with this concept to uh, that we ca- ended up calling Clap Boss, just sort of a reincarnation of the clapper from the 90s but mm. cloud connected Big so fan. yeah i mean and we thought it was really clever i mean this is a gadget right like you know going from like this like hardcore tool to like this gadget slash toy um but really i mean again it has utility and the, the idea was like you could you could program it to have like multiple clap patterns so you could mm-hmm. different you could do different clap patterns and then it would connect to you know your cloud devices like your hue lights or you could connect it to Domino's and order your favorite pizza so we had Three like claps this... and my uber is going to be on their way exactly yeah. so we had all this like really catchy great stuff and i still think uh it would have been i don't know there's part of me I, that really... i would be a customer yeah there you go yeah, i would definitely purchase a clap boss so we had a great concept um i think the timing was really bad i'd like to think that that was what killed it um other than the actual product design but it ultimately died. I mean, in, in 2017, we, we launched it too late in the season. It was, it was too close to the holidays. And again, this was on Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. And then it was also, if you recall, this was like peak, 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 peak Alexa. Mm-hmm. And so this was like when Amazon, they'd already come out with their Echo, but they really just like dumped all of their products on the market during that holiday season. And so everyone was like, well, why wouldn't I just buy Alexa? I'm like, it's not... Right. Uh, it's not, it's not, it's not trying to compete with Alexa. It's, it's, a, it's, it's just like an add on like toy thing. I don't know what to tell you. It's a so misunderstood it, yeah, it was off. just, yeah. It just like the context of that product launch was really bad. And uh, we ended up pulling the plug on the project and um, that was tough. Like I was super depressed. I mean, not you, really depressed. You learned a lot though, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I wasn't depressed. I was sad. I was, you know, my team, my team, my team and I were really sad. And we, you know, like I said, we put a lot of time and money into it, you know, but time especially, and we thought we had something super clever and cute and it just like, nobody cared. So as we're getting back into the free write era of Adam Lieb, 
Um, it seems like you're so good at getting things off the starting line. And uh, I think that's a huge struggle for people, even if it's not a business, but just, you know, starting exercising, starting uh, to quit smoking, starting to eat healthier, whatever it is. Uh, what is your advice to someone who's at their starting line right now? It's never going to get any easier. You know, I think, I, yeah, I don't know. Starting is, starting is a big, is a big thing. And I sort of have the opposite problem now. Well, I don't know if I have the opposite problem. I, I think for, for most people starting is, is feels like a big leap. Um, and I think, you know, one of the tough things that I don't think anybody really talks about generally is like pressure from friends and family. Cause hmm. you know, I, I have like an entrepreneurship friends and like my, as you know, my wife is an entrepreneur, like all of my friends and family, a lot of them are entrepreneurs. And it's, I mean, they're relentless, you know, like if we, if I talk about some new thing, like it probably sucks, <laughs> <laughs> you know? And it's like, I think for a lot of people, the reality is like people don't want to start stuff because you need to create that myth in your mind that this is not even that it's going to be the next big thing, but like it's something meaningful. And, you know, every time that somebody says something that like pierces that veil, um, it's tough. And I think, you know, these nascent ideas are really, really sensitive to sort of negativity. And I think, mm -hmm. you know, um, yeah. So for me, starting, I've always just, I'm, I've always sort of kept to myself, like any kind of like early ideas. And I really have always felt very uncomfortable talking about it. Not because I think someone's going to steal it. I just think that again, you have to kind the of critique could really damage the armor. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And I really need to like have things sort of marinate over time and just let like the environment sort of, you know, massage the idea into something that could be real. Um, mm -hmm. So for, for, you know, but everyone's different. Most people are not like me. It's something I've had to learn. Um, so I don't know if I can give any advice for, you know, based off of what I do. I think for most people, they just have to, like I said, I mean, it never gets any easier. You just have to do it. And like, again, be willing to be willing to like take an L, you know, mm -hmm. that's, that's really tough. And like letting your friends and family know, like, yeah, I was working on this thing, but I'm working on this new thing and you'll find, I mean, you know, I found that people that you talk to them and they're just, you know, wild about, you know, working on this thing to the next thing and that thing. And it's like, they don't care, you know, they just keep moving forward. And a lot of those people, like they'll find something, you know, cause mm -hmm. they don't care that they're just keep moving forward. And, um, you know, there's something to be said for that. So keep taking a shot till it sticks. Yeah. I mean, just, just gotta do it. Yeah. All right. So you start Astro house, you have a co-founder and you develop the free, right? Now tell us how's that, how that, how that's going now. How it's going now. Well, tell us about the evolution from, from the first, you know, uh, the super Lux to, to now you have a new product launch, you know, uh, what, what's the era of, of free, right? Like, so after super Lux, after, after sun daily sort of stalled out and there's obviously a long story there. Um, 
but eventually the writing was on the wall. I'd, I'd brought in a friend who sort of became my partner and um, he had to move back to California to take care of his mom. And like, at, at that point I was like totally burnt out and I was like, all right, I'm not doing this by myself anymore or again, mm-hmm. you know, like I quit, you know, and that was tough. Mm-hmm. But you know, once it's also one of those things, it's like, once you do, once you, once it's real, it's, it's, there's so much relief there. You know, once you decide like, okay, I'm not doing this anymore. Like, so much relief. And mm-hmm. so that was like, that was back in 2014, I guess. And I had time to think, I guess, you know? And so that's really what started this whole conversation would eventually turn into Hemingway, which turned into Freewrite. And uh, me and Patrick, you know, basically put this prototype together and put it online and it went viral and People just went crazy mm-hmm. for it. So it was it was a wild experience at the beginning. Like the first first like two or three years were really feeling like we were just playing catch up every day. Every mm-hmm. day. Cause I mean it crossed over from the tech world to, you know, literature and authors and writers and readers. So I mean it's kind of, you know, every tech blog and you know, literature blog was picking this up and writing about it. So it seemed like the demand was really high. Were you able yeah. to keep up with that? Well, we got a lot of attention in the beginning. I mean, we had press hits from all around the world, from all kinds of obscure, you know, obscure publications. We had like, you know, Singaporean design magazines and like mm-hmm. hotel lobby magazines and, you know, things that just really obscure stuff. Um, and then also, you know, the big tech blogs and we got in poets and writers and we got in some, you know, Paris Paris Review and some really like, you know, prestigious um journals, which was awesome. Then we were in the Wall Street Journal. So we, we like sort of went, you know, spanned the entire gamut of, of press. And it was fun because, you know, obviously it's a new technology product, but it's catered to writers. And so, you know, all writers in the press are, you know, everyone in the press is our writers. Right. So we sort of had this like great benefit of being able to, you know, speak to everyone that's covering something. And so, you know, even in the most obscure things, like, we, we got some coverage. And so w- that was really cool. But then, um, you know, then we, we did the Kickstarter December, 2014. It was very successful. We raised about 200,000 in the first 20 hours and that wow. was all organic and we had no budget or anything. And it was just really just emails that we had gathered from the press that we had, you know, generated prior to that. And so, you know, really quickly we went from here's this fun idea to, Oh God, we got to make this thing and figure out million different parts that go into, you know, putting together a consumer electronic product for the masses. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a, you know, another, and big that led you to doing experience. a lot of global business, right? I mean, you had to do business in China and, you know, all over Asia and Europe and everywhere probably. Right. Yeah. I mean, mostly I, I spent a lot of time in China. I sort mm-hmm. of became like the designated, guy to go to China being the hardware guy. Um, and so, yeah, I spent, yeah, I spent six months on and off in China and Hong Kong. And, um, that was pretty awesome. Honestly, it was, it was, were you able to extrapolate like the same passion from the, the teams producing the product in China and Hong Kong that you kind of felt for the product? You know, like, were they able to see the value in, in bringing this distraction-free tool to creators? Mm, 
that's a really really high bar yeah let me say it. I, it's like saying well that's why know, i asked because it, it you know it, it's cool like to hear you know the the you know the passion that can come off of a product like this you know because it, it's contagious like even me as someone who who writes ultimately but enough to to find value in something like the free write it just would be an exciting thing to put on my product line in china it's funny i mean i've obviously explained this product to so many people and i'm sure you know everybody that's worked on the product in china have had to explain it to like their fam friends and family members mm -hmm. well one i mean china is a very different culture and in a very specific way as well like the way that they approach technology is different than us and so like i think they don't they don't have the same appreciation for sort of like the, even the concept of a distraction free writing tool at least not right now um, mm -hmm. or at least not five years ago. I think as time has gone on, they get it more. I mean, they have, people don't even realize this, but like, there's no Facebook in China. Mm. Like they have their own systems, you know, um, they have WeChat and they have, um, they have other things that keep them really busy on the internet, but it's just, a, it's a, it's so different in that way. Like they, they find the free write sort of like interesting, but I think everything I don't know. I don't know. Like we could get a lot, we could go real deep on Chinese manufacturing. I love talking about Chinese manufacturing and I've worked yeah, with, so I've worked with a team there for a long time and spent a lot of time in China. They just, I think they, there's like a big sort of like communication mismatch. And I don't mean like just pure language, but because our cultures are so different, but also we see each other like from a distance, there's always like a sort of like, like, huh, what are they doing over there? You know, on mm -hmm. both sides, on both sides. Like, I think like they see caution. Well, not so much caution, but like, I think just like, um, like it's almost like a little bit of a mystery. You know, I think they see American brands like ours making stuff in China and then being like, hmm, I don't know if anybody would ever, would ever buy this here. And, and they'll mm -hmm. be like, and you're selling how many? You know, mm -hmm. stuff like that. And then, yeah. you know, and, and similarly, like, we'll, you know, look at how they make stuff there. And they're like, and we're like, I don't think we can really make that here. You know, <laughs> it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. there's just a different, so interesting. yeah, I mean, there's just very different points of view. Um, and obviously like we've sold units to China and like there's writers everywhere. So, right, right, um, right. you know, it, it's just, yeah. Interesting. Um, I, I see a similarity in your endeavors to improve productivity um, in places where it's a big challenge. Uh, so is that, is that conscious? Like, were you creating free write to, to solve the problem of distractions? Uh, I mean, it wasn't conscious. I don't think it was conscious, but it's something that sort of runs through my nature and my personality is, is productivity. I have so many little productivity tricks that I do and, and, you know, pieces of equipment that I have. And I was, you know, really early on, you know, even in high school, I had two monitors because I was like, you know, once I figured out, once I found out that you could have two monitors, I was like, yeah, that's awesome. Like, why wouldn't I want to have two monitors? Then I can see twice yeah. as much stuff and I can multitask. So I think I've always been super sort of obsessive about that. I mean, it's funny to even talk about it because I feel, I feel like I'm, I'm such a, 
a noob when it comes to productivity because there's people out there that that's all they do is talk about like the newest, latest, greatest, like productivity hack and like all these productivity mm -hmm. systems and note-taking systems. And like, I don't pay attention to any of that stuff, but I do think about productivity literally all day long. I mean, maybe not paying attention to that stuff is the most productive thing for you, right? Probably. I mean, well, it's a I rabbit saw, hole, right? You yeah, it is. I, optimization stuff is like such a rabbit hole. It's such a rabbit hole. And I used to see it with Patrick, my co-founder, because he, he was a bit of a productivity junkie in the turn in the, in that way. Like every three months he'd be like, Oh, I'm using this new, you know, this new journal. And like, I have to record my time doing this, you know, They're like, yeah. all right, dude. Like, <laughs> but, and he'd always have like these new systems that he was trying out. So it was funny. Yeah. It's interesting. You know, sometimes like the asteroid is a really good, um, or the free write rather is a really good example of how, you know, sometimes the, the, the most simple, uh, you know, the simple form of, of what we're doing can be the most uh, optimized. Yeah. You know, I think take all, take all the bells and whistles off of, of your computer and, and you have your optimal writing tool. Yeah. Have you watched any uh, Marie Kondo? Yeah. Yeah. At the beginning when they first started putting out episodes here. So I'm a, I'm a big, I, I was a little skeptical, you know, I don't know. I'd heard about her and like the tidying up thing. And I was, went, went into it a little skeptically, which I don't know why, but I did. And then I watched the show and I'm like, oh, this is, this is it. I'm mm -hmm. like, I, I love this so much. And I wish that people would think about things and processes in the same exact way that she thinks about like tidying up in the sense of like, I think about stuff like, like the free ride it works in a large part because people like to use it. Mm -hmm. And it, that seems like such a tautology, but it's sometimes as simple as that. Like, and, and it's the same thing with like productivity systems. Like it may be a good system, but if you don't like to use it, then people won't use it. And so then it's not a good system. Right. Yeah. And I think like, there's so many things that if you just think about it, like why not just use things that you like to use and then mm -hmm. that's going to get you way farther than some like hyper optimized process or thing that you don't like to use yeah i mean for me it's like in the kitchen even you know i've had this amazing blender for a long time and i've almost purchased a food processor i've almost purchased an immersion blender but my one blender just does everything i need it to and to stop myself from overcomplicating things i've just committed to just using the blender for everything i need um, so how, how do you think people can be like that and take, take that, uh, that concept of limiting distractions and, you know, taking the bells and whistles off of things and, you know, maybe being a little more minimal, um, in other areas of their day? Well, I think all of our distraction is all, is all thankfully and unthankfully centered around one thing, which is our phones. Mm. And so I think again, like we can, now that we know that everything is focused on this one thing, we can focus on it and say, okay, well, how can we manipulate this thing in our life to make our lives better? And I've, I do this all the time. Like, you know, one, one rule I have is no phones in the bedroom. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people look at me like I'm crazy. And I'm like, really how much time do you spend in the bedroom and like do you really need your phone there all the time and i think little things like that actually go a really long way 
Um, you know, there's all kinds of other, you can just keep going layering and layering, but I mean, removing social media or anything that has like a never ending scroll. I mean, these mm-hmm. things are, are like pervasive now and they don't, they have long, like they have longer lasting effects than, than people realize. And I think people are starting to understand that. I think a lot of times, like people realize, like maybe, maybe now they're starting to realize, like there's some kind of anxiety building up, like as they're scrolling, but Mm -hmm. they think like, oh, I'll put it away. And then like, I'm fine. And it's like, no, that's not actually how it works. Like you've actually built up this like chemical response in your body. (laughs) Yeah. The phones are designed to do that. And, and, you know, it's designed to literally make us wonder the second we put our phone down should we pick it back up because maybe we got a notification so you know i've actually heard you talk about this before about resisting temptation yeah and you know how the free write um helps writers with that you know so how does that relate not just to tech and notifications and social media and our phones but in everyday life like you know again like with the eating and dieting and working out and spending habits you know, um, how do we resist that temptation of, you know, well, it's just one, you know, donut or it's just, you know, $1,000 purchase that we'll, you know, we don't even have rent for next month or something, you know? Yeah. I think the answer is you, it's, it's, it's too hard. It's too hard to resist temptation. And that, and that's really the reason that people like the free ride because there is no temptation. There mm-hmm. is no requirement on the user to resist it. And that's, that's, I think really the key removing these things from your life and they don't mm-hmm. it doesn't you know it doesn't have to be permanently removed or removed all of the time but if you don't have the phone with you or if you don't have social media like there just won't be that temptation and it's sort of amazing how quickly your brain switches you know sometimes you know i like i don't have instagram anymore or i haven't you know i haven't signed in in a long time and it's like when i was using it you just how quickly you'd go to be like, Oh, just like, you know, just check right. this person, you know, do these things. And it's like how quickly you, you'd like want to do that. And then after you make sort of that decision to stop, you just never have that experience again. Like you never, you don't, you your, bra- your brain never thinks I right. should go look on this. It it's never like happens. It's amazing. Breaking a pattern in your, like the thought process or something, you know? Yeah. I mean, and it, you, you, you've all of a sudden you've broken that pattern. And I think mm. it says a lot if you never actually think about wanting to do it again. Yeah. You know, what, I mean, what does that me, tell like, you? It's like, if, if you, if you love cookies and you know that you have no self-control with cookies, it's like, fine, maybe enjoy one when you're, when you're out at the mall or something at Mrs. Fields, but don't bring them into your kitchen in your cabinets or whatever you know like eliminate the temptation you know um totally that's what it makes me think of because i I do love cookies Um, (laughs) me too uh so to me uh it seems like you do a really good job with free write helping creators create but do you feel creative yourself And, and how do you flex your creative muscles i do feel creative sometimes when i have the space to like do creative things. I mean, it's something that I really have been trying to put more time and energy into and not just, you know, write emails or, you know, chit chat with my team or whatever it is. I think I'm trying to like create space um, to do more creative things, but Mm -hmm. I don't, it's funny. I, I went to this conference once 
that was like engineers and scientists. And there was like some artists there as well. It was kind of this unique conference where they brought together these groups of people. And one of the engineers talked a lot about how he felt like he needed to work on his creativity and how there was like these techniques that he was using to sort of like stimulate new ideas and all this stuff. And I was just like, I have never thought of that. <laughs> I never, it like never even crossed my mind to think that I wasn't creative enough. And I, and I don't mean like, I just don't think, I don't know. It's, I mean, obviously like I'm not a great drawer or anything like that, or like I can't paint. I mean, there's, there's definitely like in terms of creativity, there's people that think so interestingly and differently, but like, I think the beautiful thing about it is that everybody can just express themselves. I think it's more about like being willing to express yourself. Like mm -hmm. to me, that's, that's really the hardest part about creativity. It's not about like trying to get this new inspiration or just like thinking how to do unusual or weird things. So I think for me, like, being willing to express myself is something that I work on and I try to do. And even for something, I mean, this is, this is kind of unusual too, is like, I think of my products as art and that is like, I think pretty unusual in the sense of like, I'm really, really comfortable with the sense that some people aren't going to like them and don't find them, you know, don't connect with them in a certain way. Right. And like that's totally fine with me. And in fact, I prefer it. Um, and so like, I don't know when people talk about like product features and stuff like that, I just, I don't think of them as like features. I think of that. like, that's like my, like critiques on my art and that's mm -hmm. like a pretty extreme sentiment, but that's actually how I think of it. And it allows me to think of, you know, it, I think it also allows me to be more bold in sort yeah. of like my decisions as well when it comes to product design. I see it that way too, honestly. I mean, you created something and it's kind of like your art piece. Um, I also saw that once you you welded your own knife. Um, <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of cool activity. Um, but do you think like that forging a knife from, you know, raw metal, do you think that's like kind of representat representative of, of, you know, your journey as a, you know, entrepreneur as a business, you know, behind the businesses you've created kind of thing. It's something it's hard work. I think metal, mm -hmm. like blacksmithing in general is one of the most difficult crafts that I've, I've experienced mm -hmm. and it takes a lot of skill to do it. Um, it's also one of these things that I don't know. I mean, entrepreneurship, I mean, I've, I've told this to other people. I think it's like, I mean, you need to, you, yeah, there's so much resilience involved, right? There's so much resilience, and and, and, and like the yeah. resilience between forging a, a knife and and starting a company with a new product that the world's really never seen. You know that that's kind of what I'm talking about with the yeah. similarity. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's. I think the hardest thing about business is that you really do have to enter. I mean, every businesses are all different, but for a consumer-focused business you have to interact with so many people and you know, if I'm making a knife or something like that, like beauty's an eye of the beholder, <laughs> you know, and I can be, I can be, I can make something that's pretty crappy and be really excited about it. Um, right. But you know, once you release something into the world, everyone's like, well, this packaging isn't as good as apples. So it sucks. 
Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's like, all right, well, I, you know, I don't know what to tell you. So I, it's tough. I, I know I, I, I appreciate the connection, but I think that there's, there's something so, so difficult about like putting yourself out there by like trying to sell your stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think like, um, whether it's art it's vulnerable, work, yeah, it's vulnerable. I mean, I, I'm, I can imagine, you know, you, you work in the, the music world, like artists in the music world, like putting out music, like that's, that's tough. You know, again, yeah. like you're, put, you're, you're putting yourself out there and, you know, I, I, I think I have a, some understanding of that in a certain way of like putting out our products. Like there's a you know, piece of me that, that I'm putting out there and it has my name on it and people know who I am. And, um, it's the first time that you do that. It's really nerve wracking. For sure. So throughout all this time, you've been on a big self-reflective journey and it seems, um, and you've also been on a mountaineering excursion. Um, can you tell us about what urges you to take on challenges like, like traversing through snow and the ridges of mountains and how that kind of relates back to your life as a entrepreneur and, you know, boundary pusher? Well, there's, there's the resilience. I'll tell you that. I mean, I think having, having done some mountains, um, the, by far, you know, the, the trick to them is actually exactly the same (laughs) in a lot of ways as, as business, which is like one foot in front of the other. You know, Mm -hmm. if you start, if you start looking up and looking at sort of seeing like what's in front of you, at least a mountain has a top and you can see it in most, you know, at sometimes. Right. Um, but even so, like it's daunting, you know, it's like, especially when you're at altitude and you're like making, you know, a few inches, every step, it really feels like you're never going to make it. But if you keep putting one foot in front of the other, you will. And I really appreciate that in the sense of, yeah, I mean, that's how you can take any problem and, you know, anyone that's ever worked on something that's really big, I think that's, that's the only way to do it. And I mean, I'm coming off of a two year product development cycle and manufacturing cycle that was very difficult. And for sure, the only thing that kept me going was this idea that if we just keep making small amounts of progress, putting one foot in front of the other, eventually it will be done. And it did happen, but it took two years, which is a long time. Yeah. Especially for a product that you made so well that it never became obsolete in those two years. So, <laughs> you know, those customers didn't have to buy a new one yet until yeah. now you have the traveling free ride. Is that what it's called? Yeah. The traveler free ride traveler. And that just launched like a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. We, we started shipping it, um, on the 26th of October. So yeah, just a couple of weeks ago, but we announced it on an Indiegogo campaign literally two years ago. And mm-hmm. some people, you know, have been waiting for two years and wow. that's a lot of pressure. That's a lot of pressure and it's a long time. And, uh, we, we had our challenges and it was, um, it was tough. And again, like the only thing that, that really allows you to kind of like see the light at the end of the tunnel is actually just looking down and, <laughs> and putting one foot in front of the other. And now you can hold the product in your hand and reap the benefits of, you know, persevering. Totally. It's a real thing. It's kind of like hitting the bottom of the mountain and having a cheeseburger or something. 
Oh, totally. It's yeah. I love. I mean, and I just love being in the mountains in general. I think there's just something so freeing from. I mean, we, we it's so easy to just get caught up in our you know daily lives of you know again the phone or you know right. our work or you know even our relationships and whatever it is. Um, and then I think for me, experiencing nature, experiencing sort of real physical challenges. Um, there's just something completely different about that. That's very, I don't know. It's primal. Yeah. Yeah. I took, uh, my first couple backpacking excursions this summer and, um, we were on the Appalachian trail and I'll tell you, you know, most of it was, was pretty, you know, easy, but, or easy ish, but there was a day where it just rained and it did not stop. And our trail was, you know, like 3,500 feet of elevation gain in like five miles. And, um, it turned our trail into like a waterfall and i can tell you if, if we stopped at that moment th there was there was no going forward you know so yeah. it's just the momentum that you have to you know rely on to keep keep you keep you persevering for sure another that's it it's key to everything yeah um so aside from the mountaineering excursion you've also done some cool trips like uh you've you've had a couple experiences with wim hof what was yeah. that like <laughs> the wild man the ice man who is totally insane mm -hmm. he yeah in um i went to poland for six days and did like a winter retreat with wim and a big crew there and uh i'd heard him speak um a couple years prior to that on this big boat um and just thought he was totally whacked touch such a whack job mm -hmm. um and I, and I don't mean that like from what he's saying, like he's just so crazy in the way he talks and he's just so wild. Um, and I just, I, I'm very attracted to sort of like personalities. Um, and so I, and I, and I thought like what he was talking about in terms of the cold and the breathing exercises just seemed so fascinating to me. And so I, I, you know, made the plunge to go mm -hmm. on this trip in Poland and, uh, it was sort of exactly sort of what you expect. It was, it was very long though. I mean, it was like literally six days and every day you to, to, to stay in his home. Right. Yeah. So we had, there was like a few different groups and our group was in the, in his house um, that mm -hmm. he had bought there because um, he's from the Netherlands and where he, the Netherlands doesn't get cold enough in the winter is <laughs> basically <laughs> the story. So we were up in the mountains in, in Poland and, I mean, literally there's snow everywhere and, and there's streams and, uh, you know, part of the experience is like every day there'd be a cold plunge and you'd go into the literally like iced over snowy, uh, stream. It's probably 32 and a half degrees. Mm -hmm. And, um, or you'd go into the backyard where they had a, a an ice bath and, you know, learn the, the breathing exercises and you do the ice bath and you'd hear him talk for a couple hours, which was always exciting. Or he'd, play the same song he, he played this one song um on the guitar i think that he just yeah. made up but he would just play it over and over and over again he's a, he's a wild very wild guy. guy yeah super eccentric super wild hilarious ridiculous i don't know he's yeah he's 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 a unique character for sure yeah. uh and so other unique experiences like wim hof you've, you've attended burning man have you been to burning man more than once or is it just a one time four times four times nice yeah 
Do you think yeah. like the the experiences like Burning Man and you know Wim Hof and even mountaineering? Do you think those are really important to block into your life to be able to have you know some cathartic you know like a cathartic release you know and let go be free? Burning Man's a lot like the mountains too, where you don't have access to cell service for. I mean, you probably do now, but when I I went in 2014 and there was no cell service, so you know no, a lot it's, of it's a different kind of experience, but you still aren't connected to the outside world. Oh yeah, I I really value these sort of off the grid experiences a lot, mm-hmm. and I've been fortunate, and then I've been able to do them. Um, you know, going to Burning Burning Man and literally not having not touching a phone for a week, um, mm-hmm. and you know, I did a big backcountry skiing trip in the Alps, and same thing, didn't touch a phone. I could have. There was some times that people like my friends were getting service, but. I, you know, that was my opportunity to sort of like not, you know, resist not be the connected. temptation. Yeah. I mean, and it's just so much better. Like, cause any one little thing can put you in a funky mood. And then all of a sudden you're like back in your office. Right. You know? So yeah, I find how can, I, how can I was going to say, how can people maybe take a mini vi- version of that, like a little mini vacation at home or, you know, even it, throughout their day, just, you know, it's so um, easy and yet so hard, literally yeah leave your phone at home and go for a walk. Mm. Nothing's going to happen. Yeah. You know, I, and I, I don't even do it. <laughs> that, yeah, that's I how terrible it is. I headphones on and I go for a walk, but the phone's still with me. So it's inevitable that it comes out at a certain point, you know? So, but that's all it takes. I right. mean, really, I mean, it really, right. that's all it takes. You're, you know, like I, there was a comedian, I can't remember who it was, but they made this, they had this really funny joke that was like, you know, when you wake up, like, what's your time to screen, you know? And it's like, mm-hmm. is your time to screen less than like 30 seconds? That's scary, yeah. you know? And it's like, how long, you know, for me, I think about that in the morning after I've heard that joke, I'm like, how can I extend my like time to screen, you know, yeah. metric? Um, not not shorten it. Like again, no be- no phone in the bedroom. So it's not like I wake up and look at my phone, but, you know, I, I wake up, usually I make coffee and then I look at my phone. Right. And so I've, I've only made it to coffee, <laughs> maybe bathroom, coffee, and that's it. Yeah, when you make it past that, you can let us know because we'll have to uh, give you some sort of Guinness Book of World Record or something. <laughs> um, but for me, you know, this goes on to, you know, goes goes into your wife, Casey. She owns a yoga studio, Citizen Yoga. And for me, um, my favorite little, you know, getaway was going into the yoga studio and leaving my phone in the little locker and going into class for, you know, an hour, an hour and a half. And there was no distractions and I could be completely present. And um, I know like COVID-19 has kind of stopped a lot of that. The studios are all starting to reopen and all that. But for a long time, it was like getting that ripped away was like even noticing that one hour a day where I would be without my phone and then having that, you know, my phone is next to me on my mat, even when I'm practicing at home, it it created this whole nother, um, you know, like, like the temptation of it was so real. Um, and I definitely missed that, that hour. So I definitely relate to that. Yeah. Um, and while staying with, with Casey, do you practice yoga? What is your, what does your yoga practice look like? Yeah. I'm, I'm now famous for being in the back of our videos as the really inflexible husband. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Um, do you, do you find parallels in some of the adventures that you've taken, like with Wim Hof and the breathing exercises you've learned there to some of the yoga stuff you do? Uh, yes and no. Like the Wim, I mean, 
Wim Hof is very extreme. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I, there's a so place for so, so is Casey though. Casey is extreme for sure, but in, a, <laughs> but in a different way. I mean, um, she is scared of all things that are cold and her version <laughs> of cold is less than 72. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's a little bit different, but, um, yeah, I think that there's a place for everything. I mean, I think yoga is great. I mean, it's, you know, it's funny that it, you know, I have this, uh, yogi wife, but, and everyone's like, Oh, have you started doing yoga? And I was like, I, it's like, it's actually very sexist now that I think about it because I did <laughs> yoga well before I knew her. Yeah. I actually took yoga in college and yes, I am not flexible, but nobody is seeing me being inflexible and be like, Oh, you've never done this before. They're just yeah. seeing me. <laughs> well, yogis can, you know, flexibility is not a sign of a, of a yogi or not. So that's fair. Fair. Uh, so but staying, yeah. staying on these habits a little bit, you, you mentioned that you kept a build journal when you were making a lot of stuff. Do you, t- do you keep a journal in, in like real life outside of the build journal? I uh, yeah, actually I do. I, I sort of do keep notes on like things that I do, um, each day. A lot of it is so I don't have to remember a lot, you know, I mean, part of it is sort of an exercise and sort of like letting go as well. Um, you know, some people, some people think of like writing things down as a way to remember it. I actually think of like writing things down as a way to forget mm. like my, it's like letting go. Yeah, it's let it's letting go. Like for me, like my the buffer in my brain is really full all the time. And so I there's no possible chance that I mean, I remember far more than I probably should, but you know, there's just way too much. And so I'm all over the place. And so I have to like I, I do keep a journal and it's very useful. I'll be like, Oh, did I ever pay that bill? Or like when did I talk to that person about this thing or whatever it is? Yeah. Yeah. Do you, uh, do you have a meditation practice? I don't. It's pretty, it, I, yeah, I don't. I do thoroughly enjoy listening to, listening to Headspace and doing mm-hmm. um, guided meditations with Headspace. And I've done some meditations um, otherwise, but I don't. And it's something that I wish I did. Yeah. So I'd be hard pressed to not talk to you about sleep and um, some of the practices that you've, you've developed to improve your sleep and to kind of give you the opportunity to um, give some listeners some tips on how they can improve their sleep. Yeah. Cause I know, I, have, you, I know you have a lot. I have a sleep system now. It wasn't always a sleep system. It was just like some, some habits and rules that I've built up over the years, but now mm-hmm. I have a sleep system. So it's a, it's a three part system, which I think, you know, Uh but, um, the first one is no phones, which I've already talked about, and it's really no screens. So Mm -hmm. I'm a a big proponent of having no screens in the bedroom, no phones, no computers, no TVs. Um, but phones are the worst. So definitely no phone and computers are second worst TVs. I still don't like TVs in the bedroom, but like, I understand that people just like can't let go but the phone just having that again that temptation that like that knowledge in the back of your head that someone could reach you um and i think it's a clue it should be a clue to people how viscerally they react when i tell someone like don't put your phone in your bedroom 
mm-hmm. because almost everybody is like, I can't do that. Like, how could I do that? What if there's an emergency? And it's like, or what if, you know, how will I wake up? Which comes to rule number two, which is use a, a light alarm clock. I've been mm-hmm. like a huge fan of light alarm clocks since forever. Even in high school, I had this like jury rigged system with X10 to like bring up like this, this floor standing lamp and this whole crazy thing. And now you don't have to do that. It's really simple. You can buy a light, a light alarm clock. They're first of all, they're infinitely better than a, a sound alarm clock. That's like, has this buzzer sound. It allows you to, to wake up gently. Um, it also allows you to not have your phone in your room. They're simple. They're just great. And like, even with a partner, I've found that you can have your own light alarm clock and the other persons won't bother you. Typically it's, it's, it's a strange thing, but it, they really work great. And I, I'm a huge, huge fan. Um, and then what is the third thing? Oh, third thing. I remember the third thing is a Kindle with a, with, uh, with a front light. Right. So, so you I'm don't a, turn a light on when you're reading. Right. So you, so you don't have to, the thing that's great about the Kindle with the front light is that the light can be on very low and you don't need any other lights on in your room. And so I think the best thing by far to fall, to fall asleep is to do some reading. I prefer mm-hmm. fiction and you do some reading, you have the, you know, you just are using the, the Kindle with the front light. You don't need any other lights in your room. So you don't have to get up or anything. And you can just, you can just leave it turned on and it'll turn itself off after, you know, five, excuse me, five minutes when it's uh, times out. Mm-hmm. And so those three things sort of combine to be like a really simple, in my opinion, sleep system that will allow you to sort of relax to sleep and stay asleep. Now, there's kind of a bunch of other things that are sort of prerequisites, like not drinking caffeine at night, you know, right. things like that, which are should be obvious, but I guess they're not. So I try to tell people like, don't drink caffeine at night. I mean, I don't even think people should drink caffeine in the afternoon. And I, don't get me wrong. Like I'm super guilty of this, Yeah, but I have a 2 PM cutoff. Caffeine is because the thing with the thing with caffeine and other stimulants is that you get accustomed to them, but so you, you don't get that. Like you don't get that like perk that you normally get, you know, if you have, if you've been off caffeine for a while, but I think it, it, it does come to bite you sort of like in your quality of sleep. And I mean, same thing with alcohol, alcohol, you know, I think people generally understand that drinking alcohol is terrible for your sleep. Um, yeah. and, that, and I think people are realizing that now because there's all these like bio trackers, you know, like the aura ring or, um, these other things. And they'll all tell you very clearly with, with data as though, as though you need to know that, yeah. um, that your sleep is bad when you're, when you have a you know night of drinking or even, even one drink, I find myself like if I have especially beer for me, um, my sleep is not nearly as good. Yeah. If I'm drinking anything liquor, it's just, my sleep is horrible quality. Yeah. Um, and I sweat like crazy for some reason too. So, but that, that's neither here nor there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, okay. We got your sleep, no phone, light alarm clock and a Kindle. And that's the it. Kindle is the one thing I have not been able to get myself onto. I've had one for like two years and I just, it's loaded with some books too. And I just love the physical feeling of a book. Um, and I just can't replace it for some reason, even traveling and everything. I still carry around a couple books with me. So do you, do you read fiction? Yeah. Yeah. I was going to ask you what, what, um, 
what are you, I, I love reading fiction just in general, but to fall asleep too, what, what are some of your favorite um, fiction titles that you've read recently? Yeah. I mean, well, I'll just say like, even for, I, this sort of took me a little while to like allow myself to read fiction. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs have this problem that they feel like, well, if I'm reading, it needs to be some business book or it needs to be mm -hmm. like, you know, some article about marketing or blah, blah, blah. And it's like, okay, separate, you know, like, what are you yeah. trying to do here? You know, are you like trying to read to learn or are you trying to like relax to sleep? And I think yeah. allowing yourself to enjoy reading by reading some great fiction is one of the best things that you can do just like mm -hmm. as a human. I think everybody, it's... everybody deserves good fiction. And I, and I think if we think about it, like everybody knows that we love like great stories. Like we think about the best book that we've ever written or read. Um, they're awesome. You know, like why not have be able to like, why not allow yourself that experience? And I think there's, there's this problem. I think a lot of people like won't, these entre like entrepreneurs, especially like won't allow themselves to read fiction. I think that's like, it's really sad. Yeah, I think that kind of brings a lot of what we were talking about full circle. Cause it goes into like people trying to continuously just optimize and optimize and optimize when they don't realize if they just like let go and gave themselves the escape to, you know, dive into a, a, a fiction world, you know, um, in a novel or something that they might even be able to benefit more just from taking that little break. And it also kind of relates back to even, you know, how do you take those mini, vacations you know how do you take those mini distraction free moments and uh i think you know diving into a few chapters of a fiction novel is probably a really great way especially if you can do it with your phone in, in another room exactly and that every time that i come home and i'm like feeling anxious and i have the wherewithal to you know actually pick up my kindle which is usually like by at my bedside and just like sit yeah. in a chair and read i like i feel so much better and I, I always think to myself, man, I should just do this every day. Yeah. <laughs> like, what is wrong with me? Um, and so to answer your question, though, I like I like science fiction a lot. Mm -hmm. So I've I've actually been reading um, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy because I've never read that that series. Perfect. And have you read that before? No, I haven't. But it's, it's definitely on my to do. It's funny. I mean, it's like it's silly. It's yeah. it's it's great fiction. I think that's a, right. like, it's a perfect example. Like it's silly. It's not that serious. It's, I, I think there's like some philosophy underpinning some of the stuff too, I think. Mm -hmm. um, but honestly, having, <laughs> using the Kindle to fall asleep to read, I usually only get through like a page if I'm lucky. Right. And yeah, so I try to do like morning, morning reading for like the, the chunk of reading I'm trying to do. And then like nighttime, it's just a toss up of how quickly I can fall asleep. But Totally. Uh, I just yeah. finished Lovecraft Country, which is a show on HBO also, but the book is like phenomenal and it really kind of crosses over into like the science fiction and, you know, like kind of dystopian-ish feel. Um, Lovecraft Country? Yeah, yeah. It's, okay. It deals a lot with like a, a lot of like the race issues. It's like set in Jim Crow, South America. So uh, 1950s, weird vibe America. So it's a real creepy novel, but I like it a lot. Cool. I'll check it out kind of hard to fall asleep after reading some of the chapters, but um, it, it'll, it'll do. It's very entertaining. Cool. Um, so to start wrapping this up a little bit, um, you know, just some, some general uh, advice. The, the world is so crazy right now. It's kind of like undeniable. Um, what, what advice do you have for listeners who are just feeling that weight? Get off the, get off the internet. Yeah. People people aren't the same on the internet as they are in real life. 
And I don't know if we ever, as a society, will fully understand that, but it's just the truth. Mm -hmm. And the more time that we spend on the internet, the more we think that that's real. And the less time that we spend in real life, the less, the less that we think like just human decency doesn't exist anymore, Mm -hmm. but it does. And that's why in general, you can go anywhere in this country and even anywhere in the world and still have, you know, a perfectly reasonable conversation with a stranger. You can, you know, have, you know, have commerce, you can buy things, you can go to a store, you can ask for directions, like all these things still exist. And I think we, we get so caught up in sort of how people act on the internet when there's no shame and there's no, there's just like no threat of violence even, which I think are two questions are very little. That's exactly right. And I think I've been thinking about this a lot. You know, I think when you're in front of someone, like you think about how you're being perceived, you think about whether this person is going to make you feel a certain way or look at you a certain way, or, or even, even just like, again, like even the threat of violence, which Mm -hmm. doesn't need to be like super overt, but just knowing that like, you just can't act like a crazy person in public, you know, like that, those are things that are important parts of our societal structure that don't exist on the internet. Right. And there's no rules for that, but it's the same people. And I think that's the thing that's really hard to understand. Like we are able to sort of like show the weirdest, most perverse, like, you know, like just unbridled selves on the internet. Mm -hmm. But in reality, like we're all mostly normal people. So I think I, I, you know, it's really tough. And I think, you know, we're taking a toll, a really, really heavy mental toll or societal toll because of COVID. Um, But I think as much as we can sort of get out there and like talk to strangers from a distance or something, I don't Mm -hmm. know. Um, With masks on. With masks on, we'll be better off. Amen to that. Um, So what's next for Astro House and what's next for you personally? Well, Astro House, I don't know. I mean, we're, we're hiring, we're building our team. We're, you know, coming off of this, this big first production run. So, you know, we're, I'm tentatively very excited. Like the first several thousand units have gone out and people, you know, overwhelmingly have been really happy with the product. Um, So that's, that's like really the biggest, you know, moment of relief. It's not even so much like finishing it or shipping it. It's like getting it into people's hands and making sure that they all, they all don't just like self combust immediately. Mm -hmm. Um, so Which seems to be it seems to be happening to Xbox right now. Is it? Have you seen that? No, I haven't. Yeah, I've just it's kind of irrelevant, but I've seen a ton of videos of, of people getting the new Xbox and it's literally smoking like oh, a lot of smoke. So yeah, um, see, like that's my nightmare. Right. And that's and, Microsoft. So yeah, and it's Microsoft. And so, you know, as a tiny company thinking like, okay, how can this happen to a Microsoft comp, you know, Microsoft product? where they have literally entire teams of reliability engineers and safety engineers and certification and all this stuff. Like how (laughs) you couldn't write it better on an episode of Silicon Valley. Oh my gosh. So yeah, that's my nightmare. Um, so yeah, it was a big step for us to like, you know, not, you know, to deliver the products and them working and, and that stuff. And there's little things, there's always little manufacturing problems, but, um, you know, no, no magic smoke has left the boxes yet. Um, 
Yeah, thank you. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I have a long list of inventions that and devices and projects and I, I don't know. I'm, I'm part of me, like I need to take a little bit of a mental break. I mean, like I said, I've been on a two year uphill journey, putting one foot in front of the other and mm -hmm. it's been, it's been taxing. So I, and also, you know, I haven't had that. I haven't had that opportunity this year to like go off the grid. Um, right. And so I don't know how I'm going to do that, but I, I would love to figure out that um, even Definitely. for a week. That'd be really amazing. Definitely. Um, and so lastly, where can listeners purchase a free write and where can listeners uh, connect with you? Yeah. So <clears throat> our website is getfreewrite.com and you can check out the original free write or the free write traveler. And um, I am on Twitter at I am Adam Lieb. Um, that's it. Cool. Is there anything else that you wanted to share with our listeners before I let you go? You're the man, Harrison. Thanks for nah, having me you on. You are too. Yeah, thank you so much, Adam. I appreciate you. Till next time. Thanks, brother. Of course.